You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Arlington Remastered. Chapter 10. The Spy. From the Journal of Major Frank Butler, District of Columbia, March 1st, 1883. I took my leave politely and moved through the rooms. Director? I'm in the cellar. Make your way down. I followed the voice to a secure doorway that led down some steps and into a magnificently appointed retiring room. What he'd referred to as his study was nearly as large as the ground floor of the house, its walls lined with bookshelves crammed to capacity. There were cupboards and trunks filled with who knows what, but I suspected the accoutrements were for surviving a siege. I spotted gun cabinets, a selection of fencing sabers, which I noted were less ornate and definitely well-worn. Logs were blazing in the fireplace, and to one side was a fine billiards table. It was this that Thomas crossed over to and picked up a cue with a flourish. Come into my parlor. Do you play? And if so, is there even any point me challenging you? The physics of billiards and firearms are different, so I'd say a man who has his own table stands a fair chance. Then game on, sir. While we play, I've got a little information you might like, concerning personages that could help you with the very subject matter you end your second edition on. You know someone who's seen a wind door. That I do, sir. And while I have no idea of their current whereabouts, if you hear from them, I'd suggest you take note. Well then, furnish me with what details you have. I woke with a start at the sound of a small bell ringing. I had to glance at the clock to get an idea of time in that windowless place. The hands pointed to two, but it could have been the small hours or the afternoon for all my hazy senses could assess. The room still smelled of seasoned wood and cigar smoke. My mouth recalled the cognac I had recently imbibed, and Thomas stood over the chair of my vigil with his coat on and arms folded. Behind him stood Harry and Sarah, similarly attired for cold weather. Time to move. Yes, sir. You want me to head up and step outside first, make sure the coast is clear? No need. He crossed over to the bookcase on the far wall. We don't travel from our house by coach if we don't have to. The first leg of the journey to Langley begins here. He pulled out a book, causing an audible click, and the heavy case swung open, revealing a door. On this door, Thomas rapped several times in a complex code. There was an immediate coded response. Taking a key from his pocket, Thomas opened the door and, silhouetted against the torchlight coming from the cavernous underground tunnel behind her, a woman stood to attention. She seemed to be of Chinese origin, judging by her facial features and clothing, and her bright eyes flicked immediately to me, as presumably the only new acquaintance. She stepped into the room with a polite nod and Thomas introduced us. Major Butler, this is Li Ying Long. She heads up a shadow division of the NIA that not many people know about. A spy network? It's a relatively new branch, but spying is just one of its remits. Pleased to meet you, ma'am. I'm... Major Frank Butler, currently serving as a sharpshooter for Director Arlington, previously a trainer for cartographer scouts. Born in County Longford, Ireland, 1847, married twice once to Henrietta Saunders in 1870 until her death in 73, along with your two children, Edward 
and Catherine, and then to Phoebe Ann Mosey in 1879, whom you met while serving as a shooting instructor for the RSA military. Lee. Sir. Let's say we cut the pleasantries and get on to Langley. Major, I'm sorry. It's fine, she's correct in all details. She's a mean one. If you would all follow me, please. As Thomas closed the door behind us, I could also see the apology in his eyes. That had not gone as he had intended, though he seemed unable to address it directly. Lee walked on ahead with light footfalls, holding up a torch for us. I had been looking into her eyes when she mentioned my departed wife and children. There was no malice, no intent to wound. She simply reeled them off like biological field notes. It was not offense I felt, but sorrow. Though I knew with uncommon certainty that she and I would never be friends. We traveled down echoing corridors under the streets of Washington, and slowly my sense of wonder began to edge out that heartache. The air was musty and thick with the odors of earth and burnt cherry wood. Our pathway was lit by torches stretching off into the distance which Lee had most likely lit on her way here, judging by how she put each one out as we reached it. I found handrails on the tricky sections, and the floor was well-maintained and well-trodden. Our pathway sloped downward, and I began to get an impression of just how vast this network might be. Thomas, also holding a torch, had become an impromptu tour guide. Building began in 1790 when George Washington decided he might need a tunnel escape in case the White House was ever directly attacked. The architect was a Mr. Franz Nordstrom. Don't look for him in the history books, by the way. Part of his agreement was being sworn to secrecy over his creation. He was a consummate overachiever who began with the idea of escape and evasion, but this extended to the ability to link many of the key places in the District of Columbia via these tunnels. He wanted those few in the know to be able to traverse the entire city should they wish. And let me tell you, when we came back and reoccupied Washington three years ago, it was something of a nightmare clearing this labyrinth of Wendigos. We think someone left a door open. Oh, don't worry, they're all gone now. We walked for what must have been miles. I found myself frequently peering off to the side as we passed through the crossings. They were, of course, entirely unlit, and the darkness within them enveloped skittering echoes. I felt a warm hand take my own and was surprised to find Harry had pulled up alongside me. I squeezed her slender fingers reassuringly. We turned a corner and the tunnel sloped upward, culminating in a stone doorway. We stood around it expectantly and Thomas stepped forward to pull a concealed lever in the side of the ornate marble crest. There was a click and the door swung open. We found ourselves exiting into the fresh air on a hillock beside the Potomac. The stone edifice we were leaving, I realized, was the new statue of Abraham Lincoln, sat out here alone, presiding over the river. A coach stood waiting at the roadside, and nearly everybody present approached and boarded it hastily to escape the cold snap of the night air. Thomas lingered a moment, his red-coated, trembling figure framed in white as he stood looking up at the fallen president, sat tall and benevolent on a veritable throne atop white marble steps, his face the very image of calm assurance. Lincoln's work was out of his hands now, passed over to his successors at the moment of introduction of a bullet to his head. 
I wondered, as I looked at Thomas, what he might be feeling so powerfully at this moment. Inspiration, admiration, regret, perhaps even envy. The man shivered and turned back to the carriage. His eyes, stubbornly, would not reveal the specifics of his temperament. As we began to move westward across the bridge and over the river, not another soul was in sight. Lee sat, her hands crossed in her lap and conferred with the directors. The curfew you ordered took longer than we expected to enforce. Well, as long as it was successful. We don't want to have to pull in the military for support until we have no more choice. I would not call tonight a success. The police have met a lot of resistance. Please, may I ask you not to do this again? It's overemphasizing a lack of choice and control within the general public. Now you sound like truth. Or she sounds like me. If we leave people to gather in the street as long as they wish, that ire of theirs is going to percolate. The more angry minds it bounces off, the greater the momentum. Our only shot at mitigating it, diffusing the tension, is to divide them. Give those tempers a chance to cool. There are other factors, sir. You need to know this. Round about midnight, a fight broke out on Maryland Avenue, and seven men of African and Afro-Caribbean origin were beaten to death. Those responsible who survived are currently going through the beginnings of a legal process to assess the circumstances that led up to this. I see. If civil unrest is going to continue, we may need to look at changing our punishment system in the future. Thomas, I still don't think it would be wise to have execution brought back to the table. I'm not going to stop maintaining that a person can achieve more with their life than with their death. Unless they can't. Unless they're being alive. While the people they remove from our world are buried. Sends out a strong, counterproductive message to others who wish to get away with murder. A lifetime trying to make up for your horrific actions isn't getting away with anything. What have the police come up with? That's just it. Sir, madam, the men being held are all police officers. Listening to episode 10 of Arlington Remastered The Spy, written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Thomas W. Arlington, performed by Alex Shaw. Sarah Arlington, performed by Maureen Foley. Major Frank Butler, performed by Spencer Lieb. Harry Arlington, performed by Loretta Saylor. Agent Lee Ying Long, performed by Sharon Shaw. Prospector theme, relaxing piano music. Clash Defiant and Battle Hymn of the Republic, performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Many soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. 
Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Evan Jankowski, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Gasiga, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joseph Gluck, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksh, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Scott Jacob, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Wazanski, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. And with the tenth book written and receiving its beta reads and final edits, work begins on the eleventh story, Panther Soul, as we journey back to Rama.